Friends, God's good word for us this morning comes from Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3, great chapter of the Bible. And if you want, you can follow along on page 912 and 913 in the front of these white and blue Bibles there. I encourage you to do so as we hear the word of God this morning. So when he was a young man, this one man had visions. He had a, had a dream. And he had a dream that one day he would be an important political figure. He was understandably very confused by this dream, and so he went and he asked his siblings and his parents about the dream. Understandably, they mocked him and they laughed at him. At first, it seemed like the dream was the furthest thing from reality. For a number of years, he was taken away. He was taken away as a slave into a far-off country, and in that distant country, he was forced to work for a master that he did not like and who regularly took advantage of him. Somehow everything that he did worked out and he was successful in everything that he did and so his master gained great fame and success. Despite all of that, his master found reason to falsely accuse him and get him thrown in jail. While he was in jail, he had another dream, another vision, this time it just so happened to coincide. He dreamed of a great harvest. He said that the next 10 years or so would be a time of great harvest, and then there would be this great drought for many years. And it just so happened that because of this dream that he had, the foresight about the great harvest and the drought, and because of his experience in another country, and because of the success that his master had while he worked for him, and because of all of the time that he had spent as the second-in-command in his previous master's house, because of all of these things that all came together all at once, he found himself responsible for managing the country's response to the harvest and the drought. Suddenly he was that important political figure, and a few years went by, and lo and behold, his brothers from a different country, they needed food. They came and they bowed down to him. The dream had come true. That is how a faith-lived life looks. That's how a faith-lived life works. Where God makes us a promise. And we don't see how the path is going to get you and I there. But we trust that the promise will come to pass at the right time. And in the meantime, we take what the Lord gives us and we are responsible with everything that we have. Martin Luther one time wrote about faith and how important it was along the way. He, he said something like, faith is this mighty and living and powerful and active thing. What a mighty thing it is. Faith, it said, he said, even changes us. It makes us into altogether different people, body and mind and soul. And modern research has actually found that this is somewhat true. There was a, a woman who did a study, Caroline Beaton, and she found out that when you believe in God, it's basically like being on drugs. Not that we want to think about faith as a bad thing, but you get the same kind of experience physiologically, as if you were on a long addicted to drugs. It's that life-changing to have faith. And that's what the Apostle Paul wants for you and I today. 
this fabulous faith. That's why he starts off here and he says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. And this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So last week we heard this very important truth from the Apostle Paul, that we are either under the law or under grace. Right? Those are the only two ways to live your life. If you relate to the people around you based on your obedience to their instructions, then you're under the law. And if you relate to the people around you based on their approval of you and their forgiveness of you, that doesn't depend on what you do, then you're under grace. And so we said common people that we relate to under the law are people like the police, law enforcement in general, judges, your boss, the school board. All of these people, in the end, really have no desire to say, attaboy, well done, if you're a terrible person. It's their job to say, do the right thing, and then I'll say good things about you. You relate to them under the law. I do too. At the same time, maybe it's our parents right, and our spouse that we can relate to under grace. Our, our, our spouse who looks at us and says, I love you even though you're a mess today. Right? That's relating to your spouse under grace. Their approval and their forgiveness of you is not dependent upon you and how good you are. And maybe some of us think, isn't that enough? Can't we just stop there? But the Apostle Paul says, no, we, we need to go beyond that. There's a, a something that has to drive your life. You need kind of a philosophy of life, a, a way of life. And that's why he goes on and he says just this. He says that either no one is declared righteous in God's sight by works of the law, but righteousness is given through faith. So he's saying you don't just need to be under the law or under grace. You either need to live through works or by faith. It's a simple, a simple comparison, isn't it? And there's, there's all kinds of ways to think about this, to, to start to grasp it. A, a classic illustration is to imagine somebody standing before God. Samantha gets before God and God says, Hi, Samantha. How are you today? Nice to see you. Why should I let you into my heaven? And Samantha says, Well... You know, I was a pretty good person. I got a job. I made something of myself. I wasn't a waste on the earth's resources. I helped people even when, I was in, when they were in need sometimes. I think you should let me into heaven because I've, I've done a pretty good job. Now, that's, that's an example of a person, supposedly, who thinks that they are driven or justified by their works. And I think it's probably a pretty bad example. I really don't think God is going to have to ask us if we live by faith or by grace, do we? By faith or by works, do we? does he? And yet, the point is to help us make a comparison. Because what would a person who lives by faith say? They'd stand before God and they'd say, you know, I got an invitation to be here. And there was a guy who went in front of me. He went and he said he was going to prepare me a place. And here's my invitation, God. This is why you should let me in. Because I've got an invite. That's the difference between a person who lives by faith or by their works. That comparison 
And that's the point that Paul wants you and I to grasp today. He gives us a couple things just to make sure we, we really get it. He says, first of all, nobody is declared righteous in God's sight. This is the why. This is the why of our faith. I was talking with a few high school kids off and on at different points this week, and it was, it was interesting because all of them made the, gave me the impression, they really reminded me of how much high school students are spending their time asking, am I, am I a person that would be liked by that girl? Am I a person that would be liked by that boy? Am I, am I living like this kind of a boy? Am I living like that kind of a girl? Am I behaving in the right way to all of these other people? And, uh, and it struck me, because here's, here's a bunch of teenagers, right? They're just getting awareness that they have a bigger world to belong in, where they fit in the world. And they're not asking questions like, what's my future? They're not asking, what's my place in the world? Where am I going? They're not even asking, what's life all about? What's the question they're asking? They're asking, am I okay? Am I all right? Am I, a, am I a, a good person? And that's a question all of us ask. Everybody asks that question. Maybe you think, I don't ask that question. But have you seen all of American life is built on that question? When you applied for college, did you write a little letter to the recruitment director and said, dear recruitment director, I trust that you'll do the right thing. Thank you, Bob. No, you didn't, right? You wrote him a letter and said, here's my ACT scores. Here's all of my grades. Here's everything I did in my life. Here's all the volunteer work that I did. This is how good of a person that I am. You spent a lot of hours proving that you were all right, that you were okay. When you wanted your first job or your 50th job, did you write the HR director and said, dear Mr. HR director, dear Mrs. HR director, I trust that you'll give me a job if it's the right thing to do. No, of course not. You didn't do that. You wrote up a resume, and you wrote your education, and you wrote all of your skills and all of your experience, and why you were all right, why you were okay, why you were good. You're asking the same question. All these high school kids are asking about themselves. Am I all right? Am I okay? Am I good the way I am? I mean, when you wrote up a dating profile and you put it online, you didn't write and say, Dear Mrs. Wright, I trust that if I'm the right one, you'll find me. No, you wrote all about yourself and how wonderful of a person you are. You like long walks on the beach and margaritas in the sand or something like that, right? You, you, if you were running for office, you didn't write, Dear Citizens of the United States, I trust that if I'm the right person, you'll put me in the right job. You said, Here's all of the things I've done in life, and here's how wonderful of a person I am. Our whole lives are built around proving that we're all right. We're okay. We're good people. And maybe, maybe you will say, I don't, I don't want to participate in that game. I don't want to be part of that game. Then you want to live by faith. The next thing that the Lord says, this is what we get when we live by faith. He goes on and he says, we are all justified freely by his grace. Justified freely by his grace. That's the what of faith. What do we get? We get justification. There's this fun story told. Philip Melanchthon was a good friend of Martin Luther. 
But unlike Martin Luther, he was a very timid man. Martin Luther never knew how, how to shut up or when to shut up. Philip Melanchthon, on the other hand, never knew how, when to talk. And, and he was very timid, and so he would write Luther little letters all the time saying things like, I woke up this morning wondering if I trusted Christ enough. And he would just feel awful, and it would tear him up. Finally, Luther had enough of it, and so he wrote him back a, a letter, and he said, Go sin bravely, then go to the cross and bravely confess it. The whole gospel is outside of us. Now, I want you to, to think about that letter for just one moment with me. When, when Luther wrote that letter, nothing physically changed in Melanchthon's life. Philip was still the same timid and, and shy man that he had always been. What Luther did is he said, there's something outside of you. The way that God looks at you has changed. And that has, should change everything about the way you live your life. That's justification. If you and I are living a life by the law, then our whole lives become about proving to everybody else how good we are. And eventually, we don't care what anybody else thinks about us. If you and I live a life by faith, then maybe you don't care what everybody else thinks about you, but you think about, care a lot about what God, the Lord, the Creator, the Master of the universe, says about you. The only thing you care about when you wake up in the morning is that He says about you, I love you, you're my kid, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I will move heaven and earth for you. It's true that God sees each and one of us, and he looks at us and he says, you're a wreck, you're a mess, look at your life, it's falling apart. But I don't think you're great because your life is all put together so nice and neat. I think you're great because I love you, because I died for you, because my son lived for you. That's why you're wonderful. And I'm not going to pay attention to all of the rest of that mess. I'm just going to look at you and I'm going to say every day, you're mine. That's the beauty of justification. And Luther is pointing out to us in this example with Melanchthon, that ought to make a huge difference about how you and I wake up and live each day. Every day we should wake up and say, you know, I don't know if I really care too much about what everybody else thinks about me, but I really care about what God thinks about me today. That matters more than anything. I don't really care too much if my boss and my coworkers and all of these friends at school really love me that much. I care about them a little bit. I don't want to like, offend them unnecessarily. I don't want to make a big stink. But I really care about what God thinks about me. That matters to me every day. Friends, that's justification. That's the what of our faith. And the who, the who, the Apostle Paul closes at the end and he says, this comes through faith in Jesus Christ. If I tell you that I've buried a million dollars in the field over there for you, and it's all yours, all you have to do is go dig it up, some of you are probably going to look at me and say, you know what, I'm good, I don't need a million bucks. Some of you are going to look at me and say, I'm there. 
right away, let's go, where's the shovel, right? You would bank your whole life on that promise. Now, some of you are going to get to that field and you're going to start digging and you're going to be all pumped for the first 20 minutes. And then after a while, you're going to be like, wow, this is a really big field and I'm done. I feel like quitting. I'm going to give up. But does that change the promise? Is the promise any less true just because you're tired? No, right? Now, if you wake up the next day and you say, I'm back at this, I'm going to get out there, and I'm, I'm really excited to dig all day long, does the promise become any more true because you're excited? No, right? And maybe you dig for a whole week and you say, you know, I'm going to be here for a while. I better build myself a house so I have a nice place to stay. The promise is not any more or less true just because you built a house. And maybe you say, you know, I don't want to dig alone anymore. I'd like to have a family to dig with me, and I want people that I can love while we do this work together. So I'm going to get a family. The promise is not any more or less true. And maybe, maybe you even say, you know, we need a whole community. We need a congregation to do this work together. Let's get a whole group of people to dig up this field together. The promise is not any more or less true. All that matters is who made the promise. Do you trust the person? Is the person reliable? Is the person honest? Is they, are they trustworthy? Did they actually do what they said? On the other hand, on the other hand, if you walk around and, and if you decide one day, you know, I want to have a million dollars. I'm going to go build myself a house over there. I'm going to go build myself a family, get myself a family so that I can get a million bucks and I can prove to the world, I can show the world that I'm a good person and I did a lot of things, then all you're doing is relying on yourself. And then it matters more than anything. Then it matters more than anything if you wake up every day and you're excited or if you wake up in the morning and you're just tired and you're done and you want to quit. The world falls apart more when we don't live by faith. And yet the promise, the promise that you and I rely on, it has nothing to do with how strong or weak your faith is, without, with how happy or sad you are, with how, with how joyful or how depressed you are, with how hopeful or just bored and annoyed you are. The promise is true because of the one who made it to you. Friends, God has promised you. The king of heaven and earth has said, there is a home that is yours. My son has died for you and risen for you. I love you more than anything, and I have buried that pot of gold in this field. And I want you to spend your whole lives digging for it. And yeah, you can build a home, you can build a tower, you can build a family, you can build a community all along the way, but dig for that promise. Hold on to that promise, because I promise you, it's all there for you. That's an amazing promise. And I wish that all of you had a faith that would, would move mountains. You could just look at that field and it would dig itself up in a second. But I will be happy if you all simply trust the promise. And I wish you had a faith that would heal all the sick people in the world, but I will be happy if you just trust the promise. And I wish that you all had faith that would raise the dead, but I will be happy if you just trust the promise. That's faith.
And faith alone is how you and I live. It is the only thing that saves. Not our works, just faith. And I'd like to pray for you now and all every day that it's that faith you have and it's that faith that saves. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. We thank you that you have given us this amazing promise. An eternal life is ours. We have an approval. We have a forgiveness. We have a justification before God because of what you have done. And you are with us every day. I pray for everybody here that they would have this amazing faith, this fabulous faith in your great promise. Whether we are building houses, whether we are getting families together, whether we are gathering and building a congregation, whether we are just finding out who we are in this life, I pray that you would fill us with fabulous faith today and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.